Hey, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast. My name is Cole Harmon, and this is a nugget. If you don't know what that is, they are the short little episodes in between main episodes. The main ones are long conversations with my good friend, Mark Duman. We have bumper music and all the shiny polish of a professional podcast, or at least we will very soon. But these are just my thoughts in between creating those just to keep things moving and because I've just got so much fun stuff I want to share with you. It's a beautiful Monday morning. We just had a crazy blizzard. Uh, There's snow everywhere and yet there's still birds chirping. My wife and I are doing a lot more working at home recently, so you might hear the sounds of crashing and laughing downstairs as they just uh, have a good time. Uh, And I love leaving that stuff in because really, this is just me sitting at a microphone with a cup of coffee talking to you about what I love most, and that is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! I am so excited to talk to you about what I'm going to talk to you about today, and I think I'm just going to skip all the pleasantries and just go right in for it. But before I do, I have got to mention that we have an amazing way for you to support us called Patreon. I'll put the link in the description below. Um, Basically, it's like a system of subscription where you can choose based on tiers the amount that you want to give monthly as low as a dollar a month. And this will unlock different goodies for you. For example, I just did a supernatural songwriting conference with my whole band for a church in Denmark. We recorded it, and that will be available only to certain subscribers. Um, I've also got a lot of speaking engagements going on, and I'll be recording those and throwing those up on there. So if that's interesting to you, the live aspect Uh, I might post those on here occasionally, but for the most part, that's going to be reserved for uh, my patrons. So, anywho, let's dive in. Grab your Bible, Romans chapter 8, verses 31, and we'll just move from there. It says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Yeah, I think one of the biggest biggest lies that I am still trying to disarm and disbelieve in my life is that God is fundamentally against humanity, that he has set himself up as the adversary and the enemy of mankind rather than the savior and the healer of mankind. What do I mean by that? Well, for starters, in 1 John, it says that he who fears punishment has not been made perfect in love. What does that mean? Well, when you start to really encounter the love of God on a deep spirit-to-spirit level, one of the first things you realize is that he is so much better than you could ever imagine. And you start to realize that he is so for you, but it goes against everything that you ever thought that you believed about God. It goes against what the human condition believes about God. Like if you go all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve, who are the ones hiding? Is it God or is it Adam and Eve, right? So religion promotes this idea of separation, that the holiness of God is an attribute that causes him to run away from you rather than to run 
to you. And I think it comes from a lot of things. Let me just take apart a little bit for you. This idea that God is too holy to look upon sin. Surely there are dozens and dozens of verses supporting this, right? No, there is literally half of one verse in the book of Habakkuk that gets taken wildly out of context and has entire systems of thought built around it. No, in that very passage, Habakkuk is talking to God in the same sort of manner that Job was talking to God. You realize Job got rebuked, right? Like he said all this stuff about God. It's in the Bible, but it came from Job and God says, no, <laughs> right? So Habakkuk is saying, God, you are too holy to look upon sin. So why, this is the second half of the verse, why are you doing it, right? What he's saying is, God, I don't understand how a good God could just sit back and let all this evil stuff happen, right? That's what the verse is getting at. That's what he's saying. And then, of course, you know that that plays out like God absolutely does do things about it, but it's him struggling and wrestling with this question of how could a good God allow evil, right? Um, let me throw something else at you that kind of destroys this idea that holiness is God's separation or retreat from mankind. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the exact image and likeness and representation of God. If you want to know really what God is like, you need to look at Jesus first and foremost. And what does Jesus do? He hangs out with the crooked tax collectors. He hangs out with the hookers. He hangs out with the drunken partiers. He hangs out with the people who miss a church Sunday every now and again. Like, no, like the people that he is friends with, even in his own posse of his closest friends, are absolute goofballs with all kinds of issues and things going on that make us all cringe when we read about it, right? That's who Jesus came for. And the Pharisees, they get on him for it. They're like, why do you eat with these people? Why do you hang out with these people? Don't you know that like, you're a rabbi? You should be more holy than that. And Jesus says, uh, who needs a doctor? Is it the sick or the well? Obviously, it's the sick. And so what that tells you is the heart of God, the disposition of God towards sinners is not one of retreating and leaving them to their problems. But in the same way, a doctor is attracted to people who are sick because he has the skills and the ability to bring healing to them. That's how God feels about us when we are lost is not that he needs to run away, but he's like, I have rather, I am what you need, right? He is what we need to see that healing. Think about it this way. Um, how are you supposed to fix yourself without God, right? God is the source of all goodness and holiness. So if he runs away from you, what do you have left? Your own efforts, your own ability? No, God knows that the only thing that will set you free is him, and that's why he sent Jesus, right? So it says here in Romans, if God is for us, who is against us? That is a great question. Who is against you? Who is causing that feeling of separation? Who is causing that feeling that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy enough, that God is running away from you? Who is the one who whispers in your ear? He's abandoned you. He's left you. Who is it? Well, it's probably one of two things. It's either the accuser, the adversary, the Satan, the one who sets himself up and accuses the, the brethren, right? Or it's your own sense of fallenness. It's your own sense of separation. It says in the Bible, right, that 
the minds of unbelievers are veiled. And if they're veiled, how can you turn to the Lord, right? So what happens is, is like we may believe in Jesus, but if we haven't deeply, deeply, deeply encountered that love, like it says in 1 John, we actually carry remnants of that mindset, not the fallen nature, but the fallen mindset into our lives going forward. And I know people who are have been Christians for 40 years until they experience this and they go, they say they feel like they're being born again, again, because it is a radically revolutionary thing when God argues with that part of yourself that says God is against me and he shows you that he's once and for all for you. It says, he who delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What does that mean? It says, if God is even willing to give what is most dear and precious to his heart to us. What else would he not give? What expense would he be stingy with? No, there is nothing. He bankrupted heaven itself on your behalf because he wants you. Okay, who will bring a charge against God's elect, right? That's what it says. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? There is another voice out there. But it's not the voice of the Father. It says God is the one who justifies. Again, going back to that, if God is doing anything in response to your sin or your failing, it is that he is like the father and the prodigal son. He is running to you. He is looking to restore you. His mission is that all things be made right to restore God is the one who justifies. So how do we get this backwards? Because we read the Bible through the lens of our fallen state, right? So we elevate things that need to be put below the feet of Jesus, and we take things that should be absolutely central, and we put them below this idea of the wrath or anger of God or his 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 desire for us to keep the law. We actually put that above the love of God. And we say like, well, you know, they're two equal opposites. No, look, the wrath of God even is for you. It is the no that says, I'm going to help you stop doing these things by letting you experience consequences, right? No, God is for you. God in this equation is the one who justifies, who makes right. So who is it that condemns? Well, it's not Jesus, right? Jesus, it says, is the one who died, rather was raised and at the right hand of God who intercedes for you. No, it is the accuser of the brethren. It is the uh, concepts and beliefs of fallen mindsets that cause you to feel that sense of shame and separation from God. Now, just because I say that it's a concept does not mean that it's not a very, very real sense of separation that you need rescuing from. Yeah. Mm. So what's the deal with this word intercede? Because I had always thought that, you know, God was fundamentally angry with us and he needed blood to be appeased, right? So Jesus and his blood are like basically at the right hand of God saying, don't kill him, God. I know he messed up today, but don't be too mad at him. Like give him grace. And God looks over at his son and goes, okay, all right. I'll, you know, no, it's not how it is at all. It already says God is for you and sent his son. Jesus is for you and intercedes for you. For what? No, the blood of Jesus is the ultimate 
complete signpost. The cross is the stake in the ground that cuts through your fallen mindset that says God is against you. He hates you and says, no, God loves you this much that he would pay his own blood to rescue you like a ransom. He is saving you from that which holds you and keeps you away from him. There is no distance that he will not cross to get to you. Yeah, that is what the intercession of Jesus is for. It's for you to get it. He is praying and 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 releasing this reality over you at all times so that, you know, here's how you can just kind of get an idea of if you need healing from this is what do you do What's your first thought when something goes wrong in your life? For example, out of nowhere, I was slapped with a $4,000 car bill the other day. And that is after I had already saved that money to start my own business. So, you know, my first thought honestly was like, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Did I make the wrong decision? Is God trying to punish me? Is this what? No, like that is how I know that I still need to encounter the love of God in a deeper way because that is that fallen mindset speaking to me saying, yeah, he's against you. He's ultimately against you. You're on your own. You have to do something to appease him to get that blessing from him. No, but when I get in that state, I look at the bread. I look at the wine. I look at his broken body. I look at the blood flowing down for me. And I say, no, that is how God feels about me. That is the length God would go. See, it's not about me pressing into God. God pressed into me so hard that he sweat blood. And all that's left to do is to thank him and just let my heart be turned towards him and to receive that gift. Yeah. Mm. So if you start to have those thoughts, this is where you need the intercession of Jesus. You need a permanent high priest at the right hand of God that you can look to, right? Because the blood of Jesus does not change God's mind about you. No, it is for your conscious that's defiled. It's for your conscious that's need that needs cleansing. It needs sprinkling so that you can ap- approach the, the throne boldly, right? Um, last thing I want to hit, I know I'm already over the time that I wanted to spend on a nugget because they're supposed to be short, but does the Holy Spirit retreat from you when you sin? Because it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit in the Bible, right? Look, how could that be true? How could that be true? I know there's like these analogies of like, you know, the the anointing being like a dove that, uh, you want to make sure you keep around. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But If you have the idea that offending the Holy Spirit means that you're going to push him away from you, again, how are you supposed to change your behavior without the Holy Spirit? How are you supposed to make yourself better without the grace of God? How are, no, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your righteousness. What do I mean? Whenever you screw up or do something contrary to your nature, that feeling, that gut feeling inside of you that says, I'm better than this, Holy Spirit is here to show you, no, you're a brand new creation. Your sinful nature was crucified with Christ. Therefore, why are you acting like this? Let me help you guide you into a way that is more fitting for your nature. Let me help you participate in the freedom that I've given you. Yeah, that's what Holy Spirit's job is. So when you do get those feelings of shame, when you do get those feelings of, I'm not good enough for God, or I must be separate, I must be alienated, 
God's presence must have left me. No, that is the accuser. How could God leave that which he is one with? You do realize that Christ lives inside of you, right? That you and your life and all that's in it is inside of Christ in heavenly places right now. That cannot go away. God's presence is as permanent in your life as God himself. He has sworn to you with his own blood that he will never leave you or forsake you. Your sin does not push God away from you. All it does is cause you to basically have wrong thoughts that make you fear him and run away from him. And even when you run away, he will run after you. So what's the judgment of God about? The judgment of God is about making things right. It's not his offense that needs appeasement. It's not his, uh, he doesn't need revenge. His judgment is simply diving into those things in our world that need to be made right. And that is the thing that needs to be feared. Not that he's going to punish you, but that his love is going to consistently pursue you no matter what. And yeah, like there is no place for dysfunction to hide. There is no excuse to be made. There is nothing that you can do that will make God want to stop pursuing that healing in your life, right? <laughs> yeah, there is no place to hide. That's the part that gets scary is because what we want to do when we feel that we've done something wrong is run away like Adam and Eve. But even David says, there is nowhere to run away. If I make my bed in hell, there you are. Where are you going to run from the love of God? There's nowhere to run. So rather than be afraid, why don't you let him show you that his intentions for you are that he is completely and a hundred percent for you, for your good, for your welfare, for your healing, pro enjoyment, pro uh, heaven on earth for your life. Yeah. And if you have any trouble believing that, I invite you right now, I am praying for you that you would encounter the love of God on a heart level, that you would look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has made you a new creation, that heaven is here, that your sinful nature has been crucified, that there is nothing that separates you from the love of God, that you would look at that reality and it would begin to sink in in a real and true way. And if not now, then soon. It is inevitable. You will get it. So be patient with yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. He will. Yeah, I am so fired up. I could talk for the next three hours about this, but I just want to bless you with that. He is for you. He's for you. He's for you. He is for you. And if you don't believe me, then look at the blood of Jesus. Amen.